Lord, we ask as we open your word that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we might see and know you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder, what is your boss like? Or if you are the boss, what are you like as a boss? Maybe some of you are retired, you have to think back. What, what, is my, what was my boss like? Bosses can be really confusing at times, can't they? I've had some confusing bosses. When I left school, started working, I was 17, dropped out, year 11, didn't finish year 12. I started fixing coffee machines, really random job. And I was being really, worked really hard in this job. I was learning all this new software the company hadn't seen before. I was training two other guys under me. I was um, driving all around Sydney on my P's with the old UBD, no, no GPS maps on the phone in those days. It was just full on, right? And uh, one day I got a letter from the boss and it was a warning letter. And it was saying that I hadn't been working hard enough and I needed to kind of pick up my game. I was like, what is this? This is crazy. So I'm being really underappreciated here. And so I, I went home, I thought about it, and I put my resignation letter together. And I walked in to the boss's office, and I put it on the desk, and he said, what's that? And I said, that's my resignation letter. He said, okay. So I turned and started walking out, and he called me, Rob, yeah? If you leave here, you can never come back. He says, fine. Okay, so I walk out. A few days later, I had to give two weeks notice, right? So I'm still working. A few days later, he calls me back into the office. And he says, Rob, that letter wasn't supposed to be taken as a negative thing. It was supposed to be a bit of an encouragement for you to kind of keep pressing on and, and you know, keep, keep working hard. And I thought, well, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> it's so confusing. Anyway, a few, a few years on, later, I'd left that company, done a whole heap of different things. I get a call out of the blue from this guy. He'd left that company, started his own company, and he wanted to know if I would come and work for him. <laughs> After telling me, you'll never work here again. <laughs> bosses can be so confusing at times, can't they? I've had different bosses over the years. Some have abused their power. One used to hit me over the back of the head when I do something wrong. Others have rejected and neglected their power. None have been perfect, but without a doubt, they've all been confusing. I imagine yours have too, or if you're your own boss, that you've confused yourself. The question is, why are bosses confusing? Why are bosses confusing? Well, it's always a range of things, but I think ultimately, it's because when humans are given power, we're not sure how to use it properly. The famous Abraham Lincoln once said, nearly all men, this should be on screen, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Jesus is described as a type of boss in the Bible. And he often comes across confusing because of how he uses his power. See, he often does the opposite to what we'd expect someone with his power to do. And that's because, for us, we see the world through our own lives. We have our own worldview. We kind of see things through our own experiences our upbringing, our culture. And so when we read about Jesus saying and doing things that kind of seems out of the ordinary, we write him off as confusing and we reject him. Just like many of the people who first heard him did. See, when he doesn't fit the mold, that is, when he doesn't fit our mold, to us, he's just, he's just a bit confusing. 
For example, Jesus says, love your enemies. And we say, you're crazy. Jesus says, whoever wants to be the greatest among you must become the least, must become the biggest servant of all. And we say, ha, sure, Jesus, like that's ever going to work for me to get ahead in life. Jesus says, don't worry about what people think of you. You be faithful to God, even if it means people are going to hate you. And we think, nah, look, that's a nice idea, but it's not really going to work for me at the moment. Jesus says, there's absolutely nothing that you can do to get in God's good books. Nothing that you have ever done or can ever do will make God happy enough with you to let you into heaven. The only way in is through faith in Jesus. But we think, come on, God. Surely I've got something to offer. See, Jesus is confusing because he tips our worldview upside down by doing the opposite of what we expect. When we don't understand him, it's because we're trying to fit him into our little box and he just doesn't quite fit. And here specifically in this passage, we see it's because of the way he uses his power. Have a look with me at verse 3. This is what happens. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, all things under his power. I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance or got one coming your way. I don't think I'll be receiving anything but debts. But I imagine receiving an inheritance is quite an empowering feeling, just wondering what you're going to do with this new opportunity, this new power you've been given. Now, the normal case for a family business is that the eldest son, or sometimes the most able child, inherits the business, right? Now, in Jesus' case, he's the only son of God. And so when it says the Father has put all things under his power, it literally means God's business. That is, all of God's work. Everything His hands have made, everything we've ever seen or experienced, all of creation from beginning to end, all power and authority put into Jesus' hands. He became the owner, not of a global company, but of the globe itself. Sorry, that's a dad joke. I'm still working on him. Back when I was fixing coffee machines, uh, we used to buy parts from this huge parts company, one of the biggest in Australia, coffee machine parts. And the owner was a great guy, older guy, been in a long time, very relational, everybody loved him. He kind of made the business. But a few years back, he passed away and he left the business to his eldest son. But the son was nothing like the father. He was cold and hard and he cared more about the money than he did his customers and he lost a lot of their loyal customers. It just wasn't the same. You see, what the son does with the father's business can either make it or break it. Jesus stepped into a huge role here. God the Father has given all things into his hands. Now I wonder, what would you have done with that power? After you read that sentence in verse 3, he'd given all things into his hands. What do you expect the next sentence to say? He destroyed all of his enemies and he ruled over the world. He dominated. He gave everybody new cars and endless packets of Tim Tams. 
Well, he bought himself a nice house by the sea and he went off and he relaxed forever. What would you do? What would the average person do? Well, what does he do? Have a look at verse 4 and 5. This is just crazy. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The owner's son, the heir of all things, who is himself God, knowing that he's been given everything, knows exactly who he is. He chooses to use his power to do this? To wash the dirty feet of his followers? To serve others? It's the opposite to what you'd expect, right? It's the opposite to what any of us would have done. Now, Jesus' disciples, his followers, they're completely confused by what's going on. Have a look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's just so confused. What is happening? Now, just imagine this scene, right? These guys, they walk around in sandals all day long. These aren't nice Birkenstocks, you know, nice, nice enclosed shoes. It's dirty, it's dusty. They didn't have nice paved paths as we do. They probably walk over camel and donkey poop. They didn't shower daily as we do. They didn't have nice little nail clippers and scissors the way we do. They didn't have antifungal cream. Their feet would have been disgustingly dirty. Now, in their culture, it was expected and acceptable to just provide water for them to wash their own feet. Maybe acceptable for the hired help to wipe them off afterwards with a towel. But for their master to get down and wash them himself, that was disgraceful. A completely humbling and humiliating thing to do. Just stop for a moment and think of the person that you look up to and respect most in your life. What would be the last thing that you would ever want to have to ask them to do for you? That's what's going on here for Peter with Jesus. Washing his grimy feet was not a job for his Lord. Look at verse 8. Jesus tries to help him out. Sorry, verse 7, I think he says. Verse seven. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. In a sense, he's saying, Peter, trust me on this. Trust me here. Let me do this. But Peter just gets firmer. He gets harder. Verse 8, no, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Literally, he means, uh-uh, not happening, not now, not ever, not for all eternity. No chance. This is impossible. It's inconceivable. That's because Peter knows who's in front of him. Right Back in chapter 6 in John's Gospel, people were following Jesus, listening to his teaching, and a whole number of people decided this was too confusing, and they turned away from Jesus and walked away. Now, at that time, Jesus stopped, and he turned to his disciples, and he said, do you guys want to leave too? And look what Peter said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, Peter knows exactly who Jesus is, which is why he's saying, no way, no way. It's shameful. It's embarrassing. It's offensive. It's not how it should be. 
Now, that's what Peter has just said. No way. But between this verse and the next one, something drastically changes. Look at what Peter says in verse 9. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. See, now he wants the full spa package. And Jesus, does it come with a massage? You know, what, what happened here? What happened to Jesus being completely against letting Jesus do this to wanting his whole body washed by Jesus? What happened? What was stopping Peter from letting Jesus clean him to now wanting to go all in? I wonder if you picked it up in the Bible reading. Have a look at verse 8 with me. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You have no place with me. See, Peter realized here that unless he lets Jesus be disgraced for him, then he has no future with Jesus. See, there's a, a humility versus pride contest going on here. Jesus is trying to demonstrate humility here, but Peter is stuck in pride. And this constantly gets in the way of people accepting Jesus. It's kind of like that scenario where you, you go out for dinner or to a cafe with someone and then it's time to pay and you both kind of head up to the counter together and the person asks, okay, who's got this one? And then the humility contest begins. I've got this. No, 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 let me pay. No, 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 I insist. Let me do it. And you're both reaching for the card as fast as you can and you're trying to hold theirs back and everyone's trying to pay. And it seems like you're both trying to be humble. But actually, pride is the thing that's not letting the other person pay. I will prove my worth here. I can do this for you. Let me do it. And eventually it just gets kind of embarrassing, especially when one person you know doesn't really have much money and you just feel like saying to them, just let me help you here. That's what's going on here for Peter. Pride is in his way. He doesn't think or see that he's in need. He's kind of seeing the world his own way through his eyes, and so he's not willing to listen to or trust Jesus. He's full of his own thoughts about life. Pride always stops us from listening and accepting help. But when Peter realizes that that attitude is going to lose Jesus, it's going to lose God, it's going to lose life, then his pride needs to melt away. He has the words of eternal life. Where else will I go? See, Peter was faced with the reality that if he... If he wanted to do things his way, the way he knew as normal, the way he expected things to be, then he had no place with Jesus. He had no place in eternity. See, Peter didn't only need a pride shift, but he needed a mind shift. His closed mind had put a lid over his heart and he was blocking Jesus out. He didn't understand it right there and then, and so he didn't want to accept it. Does that sound familiar to anyone here? I don't understand it, and so I can't accept it. I, I won't accept it until it all makes sense to me. That was my thinking for a long time. Closed mind, closed heart. See, Peter's confused because he expects Jesus to be doing one thing as his Lord, but he's kind of doing the opposite. He's not meeting Peter's expectations. He's actually going above and beyond them, which is why he's so confusing and amazing at the same time. You see, what Jesus meant when he said to Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will, was that he was about to do something beyond disgraceful, beyond 
embarrassing, beyond offensive. He was about to be seriously humiliated so that Peter and the other disciples and everyone who would be willing to let him could be made truly clean. Jesus was talking about being put to death on the cross, disgraced, hanging in front of all the people who wanted him dead because he didn't fit into their worldview. See, he was falsely accused by them. He was flogged in front of crowds watching on. He was mocked, dressed up in in a royal purple robe as a kind of king, with a, a crown of thorns pressed into his head, forced to carry a huge Roman cross up a long hill, strung up, big nails driven through his hands and through his feet, bloodied and in excruciating pain for hours, presented before everybody, as a criminal, rejected, laughed at, yelled at, our God, shamed and disgraced for our sake, for our sin. And just imagine Peter, after not wanting Jesus to to go through the shame of washing his feet, now watching him hang there on the cross, knowing it was for his own sin. See, Jesus was symbolically washing their feet to point to ultimately washing their sin, theirs and ours. Jesus had been given all power and authority. He knew exactly who he was. He knew where he'd come from and where he was going. He knew what he could do with this world. But he chose to use his power to serve those who hated him instead of firing them, to love those who disrespected him instead of destroying them. He laid his life down so that every one of us who have turned our backs on God and actually deserve for him to turn his back on us could be made clean, not having our feet washed, but having our hearts cleansed from sin, forgiven all our wrongs and promised a place with him in heaven for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? You know, throughout history, everyone who's ever sought ultimate power has always used it in abusive and harmful ways. And that's because they've actually never had ultimate power. They were finite humans striving for something they could never have. And so what that means is, of course, they have to step on others to try to lift themselves up. They've got to squash others down to try to make themselves powerful. When power-hungry people who don't have control try to gain it, they force their position on others which is why bosses are so confusing because they don't know how to use the power they've been given. But here in Jesus, we see the one who truly has all power, not having to force his way in by stepping on others and squashing them to get his own way, but showing what the one who has true power really does. He uses it to serve and to save. Isn't that just amazing? It's the greatest act of love and power our world has ever seen. Jesus is confusing. It's because he constantly exceeds our expectations. Peter didn't realize what Jesus was doing, but afterwards he did. When this all happened after, years later he writes a letter to a church, a a bunch of churches of new believers, and he writes this, 1 Peter 3.18. He tells them, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous 
for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's what it was all about. He realized Jesus wasn't saying, unless I wash your feet, you can't come into my house. But unless I die for your sins, you have no place with me. It's our sin that Jesus was washing. And Peter also realized in this same letter that his pride battle was also the same battle we all face. Look what else he writes in in the fifth chapter. He gets it. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It's like he's speaking to himself here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The same is true for us. But just like Peter, we can be too proud to let him clean us. We can be too closed-minded to let him affect our hearts and lives. I'd love to speak now just to a few different people I reckon are probably here today. And the first are these. The first are those who think that they don't have dirty feet. Those who, who don't see their need before God. They don't think they need Jesus. They're looking at themselves with kind of rose-colored glasses, thinking, I'm not that bad. You know, surely God can see that I'm not as bad as those other people, those people I saw on the news this week. I'm not that bad. Maybe you've even been in church here for a long time, but you're still thinking that God's going to let you into heaven the way you are without Jesus' help. You think that you, when you meet God on that last day that you'll have something to boast about, something to be proud of that you've done in this world or for God. And actually, you're stuck in pride. The Bible tells us God hates pride. And that's because he actually sees us clearly and he knows what our hearts are like. We can't fool him. You may have done a great job at kind of hiding yourself from the people around you, but God has seen our story from beginning to end and he knows that none of us are squeaky clean before him. It's actually more like the opposite. The encouragement to you today is Don't be like the old Peter. Jesus says, trust me, you need a clean. Open your mind. Listen to what Jesus is saying to you and accept his help. Don't be stuck in pride. The second group of people are those who think that they're too dirty for Jesus to clean up. You kind of, you think you've done too much wrong for God to ever forgive you. I've been too bad. If people only knew the things that I had done, they would know God would never forgive me. And your guilt is stopping you from letting Jesus clean you. Now, if there was ever anyone who was too guilty to be forgiven by God, it was Peter, right? When they were flogging Jesus and putting him up on trial, Peter was asked three different times whether he was with Jesus. And each time, he denied to even know the man. I don't know who he is. I'm not with him. After spending three years with Jesus, confessing his love for him, if there was anyone undeserving of forgiveness, it was Peter. But that's exactly why Jesus died, to free the guilty, Peter and us. His sacrifice is greater than our guilt. It's greater than our sin. Your disgrace is never too much for Jesus' death to cover. Whatever you've done, God knows what it is. And that's why Jesus died for you. His death is enough. Don't let your guilt get in the way 
of God's forgiveness. Or maybe you're the third kind of person here. The one who kind of knows that you're in need of a wash. You kind of get your need for God and for forgiveness. You recognize how much he's done for you, but you just haven't accepted it yet. You haven't made that step to actually call on God and accept the grace that he's offering. And I want to actually invite you to take that step today. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, inviting you, if that's you today, to actually make that call up to God, to take hold of what he's offering. Now, prayer is it's not something magical, but it's simply talking to God, as, as all relationships work in that way. But first, before we do that, I want to tell you a quick story about one of my old bosses. Back when I was fixing coffee machines, it's a different company, I, uh, I was called out to fix a coffee machine at Kurong Christian Bookstore. Okay, I was, I was out there, I was a Christian at the time, and I was just doing a regular service on the machine, quick fix, it was an old machine, and I was tracing a, a blockage. So I'm loosening bits up, I'm tracing, I'm blocking pipes and opening things, and I got to the top of the boiler, this big pipe, and I went to open it, and I cracked the top off the boiler, and I killed the machine. It's like a few thousand dollars, three or four thousand dollars machine, right? And I was stuck, I was in a pickle. I didn't know what to do. I knew that I was gonna have to tell the owner Go and tell the boss, call my boss, let him know what I'd done, and probably wear the cost myself. It was my fault. It was just a regular service, and I'd killed this machine. And I didn't want to make the call. I didn't want to call the boss. So I found myself kind of just walking around, looking over the machine, trying to let them not see that what I had done, just feeling stuck. I was too guilty. I was stuck. I was in trouble. Eventually, I called the boss. Hey, this is what's happened. Broken this machine. And he responded in the opposite way to what I expected. He was like, don't worry. Don't do anything. Just hang tight. I'll head back to the office. I'll pick up another machine. I'll bring it out. Don't say anything. I'll let the boss know. I'll, I'll take care of this for us. Don't, don't worry. Just hang tight. And I was like, what just happened? He, he treated me not as if I was just one of his workers, but as if I was like his own family. Like we were together in this and, and he was going to take care of this for me. He wore the cost. I was glad I called. I didn't want to, but I was glad because he did what I didn't expect, which is he wore the cost for me. Friends, Jesus is offering to do the same thing, to wear our cost, but we've got to make the call. He's not going to wear your cost if you don't call on him to give it. And so I want to invite you today, if you're ready today to receive that forgiveness, to begin that relationship, then I want to invite you to pray along with me. Not out loud. Just pray in the quietness of your heart. God hears everything that's going on in there. But if you do pray this for the first time, I want to invite you to say an amen out loud at the end, which is really just saying, yes, I agree to that. I, I want that. So I want to give you a moment now just to stop and to bring your heart before God and reflect on where you're at with God. And then I'll lead us in a time of prayer. And just repeat this in your heart to our good God. God, I recognize that I've rejected you in my life. I've been too proud to accept you as my God and Savior. Or I felt too guilty to acknowledge and confess what I've done. I thank you that Jesus died in my place, disgraced himself for me, so I can be accepted by you.
I want to humbly accept his sacrifice in my place. Please forgive me for how I've treated you. I now give you your rightful place in my life as my Lord and Saviour. Please help me to trust Jesus with every part of my life. Amen.